All right, I am Haggai Davis III, along with Haggai Davis II, and we'd like to welcome you to Tech Gumbo. Our show is a conversation about the past, present, and future of all things technology that we like to keep topical, interesting, and digestible. We want to thank our sponsor, Cardinal Capital, for making this possible. Cardinal Capital connects businesses to capital. It doesn't matter what business that you are in, Cardinal Capital has the resources all across the United States that are willing to help fund organizations of all sizes, life cycles, categories, and locations. Cardinal Capital works with you to craft the best commercial finance package for you to achieve your business goals. Whether you're looking to refinance current debt because of the new government programs and favorable interest rates, or finance new equipment, or maybe you're trying to acquire another business entirely, Cardinal Capital has the resources to make it happen. When lenders cannot do a loan, they seek out Cardinal Capital to help. The Cardinal Capital guys are easy to work with and fun to be around. Contact them today at 225-308-3700 or send them an email at info at cardinalcap.net and they'll be happy to help you with your commercial finance needs. Each week, we do like to start our second segment with the question of the week. You can go to our website, techgumbo.net. If you want to send us a question, we'll send you a Tech Gumbo mug. We hadn't mentioned that in a while, but yes, that Tech Gumbo mug is still out there. Big 20-ounce beautiful mug. We'll send it to you for free. Just send us your question. The question this week, can you summarize what's happened at OpenAI? Yes, this is a fantastic question uh, because it's been a huge news story that was fast changing. One of the podcasts I listened to did three different emergency podcasts covering this story because it just news kept breaking and it kept going one way and then going back the other way. So the long and short of it is that the board at OpenAI did not trust the CEO, Sam Altman. And they fired him, but there was an open revolt amongst the employees. 700 of the 770 employees said that they would quit. Microsoft offered a position to all of them. And so the board ultimately agreed to resign, and Sam Altman returned as CEO with a new board. And all of that happened in four days. And most of it was over a weekend. Yes. And so it was a huge deal. And because right now the company is still growing, it's not quite at that Microsoft, you know, meta tier, but it is absolutely on that track that whenever Congress was calling people to testify, Sam Altman was one of those people. And I think especially now that he survived this, I think that you'll have Satya Nadella you'll have Mark Zuckerberg, and then you'll have Sam Altman. That is the the tier that he is quickly ascending into. And you also have Sam Altman, who now is going to be sending Satya Nadella a Christmas card every year for the rest of his life. Because when Satya stepped up as quick as he did and said, hey, look, you have a home here at Microsoft, and the world stopped and went, oh, wait, we thought he just got can because he was stealing money or something. And it turns out he was not stealing money. There was no malfeasance. The board just didn't think they were getting all of the information the way they wanted it. And the board was really pushing more towards a a for-profit mode instead of the board for the nonprofit that 
the whole open AI was started with. Their their whole corporate structure was very complicated. The history of the company is complicated. It's it's not a traditional tech startup. Who the board saw themselves as, there was a lot of speculation that maybe it was something like that. But ultimately, at the end of the day, one of the, the quotes that stuck out a lot was whenever the lawyers were pressing the board, why did you fire him? They just kind of said the vibes were off. And it turns out that whenever you have a company which is becoming as powerful as OpenAI is, you need a better reason than that. And you're absolutely right. That moment whenever Satya Nadella at Microsoft said, look, if you want to come work for Microsoft, we'll create a whole new wing for you and any one of your employees has a home. Like, please, that moment, I think, change the entire tide here because all of a sudden the fact that Sam Almond wasn't just going to go sit on the street he was going to go work for Microsoft who owns most of or who owns 49% of OpenAI so he was going to go work on the same projects because Microsoft has all the APIs has all the access and so they realized that they had lost they had been outmaneuvered they had been outflanked and so they resigned in disgrace. And there was a, a great editorial in the New York Times by Ezra Klein that we, we found. And a lot of this is his opinion because it's an opinion piece. But he started talking about how OpenAI was created as a nonprofit so that you didn't have to chase the almighty dollar. You could put some safeguards in. If things got out of control, you could go hit the power button and shut it all down. If it went too far, too fast. Well, when you get Microsoft putting in $20 billion and you got this group putting in $10 billion and this group putting in billion dollars and, and that for-profit mindset kicks into the board and they don't they leave that thing turned on. Let's get keep that ATM pumping. And you people are saying, wait a minute, let's not do it quite that fast. That's one of the reasons why ChatGPT5 has been talked about, but no one has seen yet. You need some safeguards. You need some abilities to shut this thing down when it gets out of control. And it's also part of the whole complexity, maybe even tragedy of this story, is the reason that OpenAI, the nonprofit, started taking all of these donations or, or all, all these investments, not donations, is that they realized that. The technology is just really, really expensive to build, that you have to hire a lot of the best computer scientists in the world, and that you need a, just a tremendous amount of computing power. And the electricity alone is expensive. And so all these pieces together means that they couldn't just do this as a traditional nonprofit in a warehouse somewhere. They kind of had to become a tech giant. And so once you open that spigot and the money starts flowing, you really can't close it. And that's kind of the place that we're in now is that, uh, yeah, as you said, all of these people have put all this money in and it, it wasn't just a, a charitable uh, donation. They're going to want their return. And so does that change the nature of uh, GPTs and of AI? If we could have built this without a profit incentive, how different would it have looked? It also 
really, really helps to have the guy who started the company and the other, the number two person who started the company wasn't just Sam Altman because the number two person also, he quit right after Altman was fired and both of them had the positions offered over there at Microsoft. And then when everybody else said to the board, if y'all don't bring them those two back because those people, those two know more about this company than everybody else on the planet and we need them this wasn't just a hey you're getting rid of our buddy kind of story this was these guys are taking care of this company and this this technology don't fire the gatekeeper to be clear the sam altman and greg brockman the the president were very well liked but also they're very smart they knew what they were doing they'd been there since the beginning they they were very important and so that's what makes this whole decision by the board so baffling is that even now that we really have perspective on it, it doesn't get any better as a decision. And that's, you really have to wonder whenever we look back five years, 10 years from now, how did this decision, how did this changing of the board really push the open AI into a different direction? Certainly there's going to be, a lot more water that's going to have to go under the bridge before this complete story is really told. So stick around. We're going to keep reading. We're going to keep watching. And we'll let you know as we find out more. Thank you for that question, listener. We will send you your Tech Gumbo mug. Before we keep going into our rest of our doom and gloom AI stories, because that's kind of what they're circling around these days, we wanted one that was positive, one that was uplifting, one which makes you feel good. One story that has come out there with now a 98.5% accuracy, AI can now diagnose autism. And anytime you have a 98.5% accuracy, that's pretty good. And importantly, it is uh, in children between the ages of two and four. And so one of the critical pieces of autism literature right now says that the earlier that you can get diagnoses for children, the more that you can get them help and the more that you can allow them to live a healthy and complete life. And so a lot of times that this is hindered, this diagnosis is hindered simply because the resources are difficult. You know, getting a counselor, getting a specialist just takes a long time. And so the fact that now it is a simple scan, which is able to give you this high accuracy so early on in life, this is a, a big breakthrough. And you just have to know that there is so much more out there that people are going to start using AI to understand the body better. And even if we can't say, ah, this is why it knows, the fact that it knows already unlocks a lot of potential for us. And this article had, oh, about 10, 12 PhDs and MDs and all kind of multiple letter titles after the back of their names. So when you see a story that's that got that kind of positive potential, we salute it. Now back to your fractionally scheduled AI is ruining everything. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And especially when it's something like Sports Illustrated. Good old-fashioned, hey, let's talk about college football Sports Illustrated. They've got 
fake articles written by fake AI writers. Yeah, this one hurts. For so long, Sports Illustrated was a bastion of great sports writing. People who were passionate, they were the fans, you know, they were baseball, basketball, football. They were the voices that you knew and they helped you to understand and think through your favorite and most hated teams. And there was such a beautiful humanness to that. And it's being hollowed out because it is virtually free. It, it is so cheap to create a fake author and have it write AI-generated articles. And that just sucks. Your generation will never understand the importance of what Sports Illustrated was so that once a week, you got when you got your copy of Sports Illustrated, you read that thing cover to cover. It's called a magazine. It had paper. Look it up sometime. You'll you'll find stories about it, kids. But back in the day, I mean, you didn't have any other way to find out information about your favorite team, whether it was baseball or football or hockey, college pros didn't matter. The Major League Baseball, you know, it was whatever was on the cover of Sports Illustrated was. That's what you talked about for the next week as a kid until the next issue came out. And so you're right when you say this was the bastion of sports writers and, and information about the sports world. And now they've sunk to using AI-generated stories written by AI-generated writers. It yeah. hurts. It is very explainable here that back in August, the group which owns Sports Illustrated was bought out by a private equity firm. And private equity says, ah, there's a name that everyone knows. We're going to continue to turn that horse into glue until there's nothing left. Did we just burn a large amount of goodwill? Yeah, sure. But you know what it cost us? Nothing. And so this is coming for everything and everywhere. And I just don't know how to I don't know what the call to action is here other than be vigilant because there will be some groups which hold out, you know, some news organizations which which don't lean into this. But as the news media becomes more and more fragmented and more fractured, as profit margins shrink and as you have local newspapers going out of business, the temptation to rely on this is just too powerful. When all it took was some interested people to start asking or start looking up who was Drew Ortiz writing at the at Sports Illustrated. We never heard of him. Oh, but look, he's got a nice profile. He lives, he likes outdoors and he likes the all kinds of hiking and camping and he and there's a picture of him. And there is a nice picture of this guy. But oh, wait, there's nothing more than just a picture of him. Because he doesn't exist. There is no Drew Ortiz, at least not one who's ever worked for Sports Illustrated. And so they generated this backstory on the guy who was writing these articles. And it's just, uh, if you're going to call it fiction and post some fiction stories, okay, great, fine, go do that. But don't put it in Sports Illustrated and say, this is this is what's happening. And the the scary part is, 
the internet found out about it because it was so transparent, because it was so obviously fake and that so little effort was done to hide it. But what happens two years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, whenever somebody puts just a little bit of effort into hiding all this stuff, whenever the large language models get just a little bit better. And so that writing quality it's not quite the same bland flatness that it is right now, but it will never be as good or have that voice that the best writers have. What happens when we get to that world? Because that's the one we're headed towards. What do we do once we get there? Also, what happens when they stop putting the byline as who it was written by? It's just a Sports Illustrated article now. We're not going to tell you who any of our authors are anymore, who the sports writers are anymore. Because they don't exist. And that's really not a good place to be. I, I definitely, I wonder what, what happens. Because, you know, some things I've seen are that you have the large language models that have different voices to them, different personalities. And so is it, oh, this was written by ChatGPT4 flavor A versus this was written by ChatGPT4 flavor C. And that is just reflavoring the large language models is scares me and i don't know what happens next and I'm, I'm not excited the last thing we wanted to talk about that also scares the you know what out of you the pentagon is now moving towards letting ai weapons autonomously decide to kill humans yeah <laughs> the first time i saw this headline i just had to scream this is entire not just science fiction novels this is an entire genre of science fiction, is what happens whenever you let AI kill people. And spoiler, it's bad. <laughs> I guess that needs to be said here. But under no circumstances, under no conditions, anywhere, anytime, for any reason, should a robot be able to decide for itself to kill a human. Point blank, period, end of story, full stop. And it doesn't matter if China says that they're going to do it. We should not do it. I know Asimov's Rules of Robotics was a fiction thing, and everyone uses it as a rule of thumb, if you will, but it's a good rule of thumb. And the second one is the robotics can do no harm to humans. The first one is the, the robot will do exactly what the human says to do. The second one, you will do no harm. Okay, well, do no harm kind of goes against kill. And it gets really dicey if you start to try and justify it with a utilitarian sort of logic of, oh, well, this robot has to kill that person because otherwise that person's going to kill this other person. And you start trying to justify it. Well, we have to kill those people in order to save these people and we have to have the robot do it. Man, that really just gets ugly very quickly. And how long before the robot says, oh, Actually, those people who you just, maybe they're not that bad. Maybe you're bad now, and I need to kill you. That's where this goes. That's where this always goes. And we don't want robots killing. Yes, we've seen that movie before. And this has not been deployed yet. This is not out there in the field, at least not as far as the U.S. is concerned. There's been discussion as to whether or not there has been drones used over in the Ukraine and Russia 
as to whether or not those drones are killing humans. That's probably not a good thing if they were doing it that way. But at least here in the U.S. right now, there's still somebody saying, really? Do we want to do that here? Yes, there always needs to be a human giving the final thumbs up, thumbs down. And we want to thank General Informatics for sponsoring our show. General Informatics is an information technology firm with a mission. And that mission is to make our clients even more successful through the best use of technology. Based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, General Informatics is a premier IT managed services provider delivering exceptional managed IT solutions to a diverse base of customers from Texas to the Carolinas. From the beginning, we have maintained our commitment to meeting the growing needs of our clients through the continuous use of innovation. With over 20 years of experience and a team of 120 plus employees, including technicians, engineers, programmers, and designers, GI has evolved to become the leading IT partner of businesses, schools, and government agencies. Our managed services teams can run your digital infrastructure or support your team on an on-demand basis, letting you focus on your business's strength. This has become a proven formula. So proven that 98% of our clients continue to do business with us year after year. Whether you need new IT services, new technology, or you just have a question, visit us on the web at geninf.com. And if you enjoyed our show today, we're here on Talk 107.3 FM every Saturday at 4, and the show will rerun Sunday at 4. If you missed any part of our show, or you would like to hear any of the previous episodes, check out our podcast, which is available on most every platform, including Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, Overcast, Player FM, and more. And when you're there, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified every time a new episode is posted. If you like our show, if you have some suggestions or want to submit a question, let us know by visiting our website, techgumbo.net. Thank you for listening to Tech Gumbo.